Hey, take your Bible and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 18. John's Gospel, chapter 18. We're in a series entitled, The Gospel, Finding True Life in Jesus. Earlier, we had preached verse by verse through chapters 14 through 16, and this new series takes us from chapter 17 all the way to chapter 21 of John's gospel. Today's message is entitled, The King on Trial. Jesus had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was then led to a hearing at the home of Annas, the previous high priest. But Annas, appointed by the Jews, should have been in that office of high priest for life. But the Roman government removed him from office and placed his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in that position of high priest. But Annas was still running the show behind the scenes. And so Jesus was brought to Annas, and Annas did his best to take pot shots at Jesus and to investigate Jesus to see if there were any reason that they could come up with to have him executed. You see, they had already made up their mind that they wanted to see Jesus dead and not alive. And so finally, after not having any success at the home of Annas, Annas sent Jesus to the home of his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the high priest. And Caiaphas was joined by the Jewish Sanhedrin. And they began to put Jesus' life and ministry under a microscope. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think if your life and your ministry and your, your every action and every thought and every word and every deed was placed under a microscope, how do you think you would come out in that kind of investigation? Well, I think we know the answer to that, don't we? But here's Caiaphas and the, the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, and the Bible says in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And it absolutely drove this religious crowd crazy when Jesus said this. And they tore their robes and they cried out, blasphemer, blasphemer. And they decided right then and there that they wanted to see Jesus executed. The only problem was the Jews couldn't execute anybody. That was a privy to the Roman government. So today, we're, we're going to look at this story right here in John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40. And we're going to look at this story and we're going to ask this question. Who's your king? Who's your king? And I want to show you today three reasons 
why you should choose Jesus to be your king. Number one, the king's perfection. That's one reason why you should choose Jesus to be your king. Now, these religious leaders hated Jesus, and they wanted him to die. But once again, they could not carry out the execution because they were Jewish. And so the Bible tells us in John chapter 18, verses 28 to 30, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so they would not be defiled but eat, might eat the Passover. Now the praetorium was the fortress of Antonio which is at the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. So they, were, they situated this Roman uh, uh, praetorium at a place where they could look over the Temple Mount and make sure that no riots were about to occur there on the Temple Mount. And then the Bible tells us, Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Now Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. He normally lived in Caesarea. He, he preferred the beach, okay? So he lived in Caesarea, which was by the Mediterranean Sea. However, because of the Passover and the heightened tension involved with so many Jews coming to celebrate the Passover there in Jerusalem, Pilate had come from Caesarea along with a contingent of Roman soldiers, and they were stationed there at the fortress of Antonio, the praetorium, and they were there to make sure that no riot occurred, that no problems were, were developed so that Rome would have to deal with it. Now, the, the Jewish high priest and a crowd of his cronies gathered, they brought Jesus to Pilate, and they were seeking to get Pilate just to pronounce sentence. Like they, they weren't in for, for Pilate to go through some kind of trial. They had already gone through three trial, Jewish trials, and now they brought him to the civil trial under the Roman government led by Pilate at the time. Don't you find it a bit ironic in this story right here that these supposed spiritual giants were so concerned about not being defiled that they wouldn't even go into the praetorium, but they asked Pilate to come outside. You, you see, Pilate was a Gentile, and, and Jews just didn't have much to do with Gentiles. They didn't want to go into their homes while there might be a little bit of leaven left in their homes. And if they got into contact with any leaven, they would be disqualified from observing the Passover celebration. Yet, in spite of this, this movement in their lives to, to, to not be defiled, they were, they were willing to sacrifice to execute a perfectly innocent man who claimed to be the Messiah, the son of the living God. What unbelievable hypocrisy we see in these guys. 
Contrast that with the innocence of Jesus. He was the sinless son of God. Why Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, lamented that he had sinned by, and I quote, by, by betraying innocent blood. One of the criminals crucified with Jesus said, this man has done nothing wrong. The Roman centurion in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus said, certainly this man was innocent. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that Jesus had no sin. The writer of Hebrews affirmed that he had been tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. And Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, 22, that he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was the perfect king. And yet here we find the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people not only rejecting the perfect king, but wanting to see the perfect king executed. Now there's a powerful lesson here for us. You say, I'm afraid that there are so many people in our culture today who feel like, well, if we just have a little bit of religion, God will accept us. I mean, if we read our Bible some, if we pray, if we give some of our tithes and offerings to the Lord, if we try to be good and make sure our good works outweigh our bad works, if we observe the Lord's Supper from time to time, if we're baptized, if we come to church on a halfway decent level, then surely God will forgive our sins. That's exactly what the Jewish leaders were banking on here with their religious observance. Now listen, I want to say to you, only Jesus can remove your sins. You can come to church to your blue in the face. You can pray to your blue in the face. You can give until there's not a penny left in your bank account. You can come to Lord's Supper after Lord's Supper. And I tell you on the authority of the word of God, God will not forgive your sin because of what you do. He will only forgive your sin because of what his son, the Lord Jesus Christ did in your place when he died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead. He is your only hope of forgiveness. Forget about religion wiping your sins away. It's not going to happen. So I ask you today, Who's your king? Who's your king? Now, we've witnessed the king's perfection. Now, I want you to see the king's power. Now, it's apparent that the Lord Jesus was sitting in the director's chair. The Lord Jesus was directing everything that was taking place around him and to him. This included his own death. Remember Jesus said this. He said, I have authority to lay my life down and I have authority to take it up again. That's the authority of Jesus. That's the sovereignty of Jesus. In John chapter 18, we pick up, pick up with verse 31 and 32. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. 
to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Now, understand that the Jewish high priest and the Sanhedrin and the people that they corralled into coming to the praetorium with them, they were not interested in Jesus having a fair trial. In fact, the Bible says that the high priest and the Sanhedrin, they bribed witnesses to come in and tell lies about Jesus just so they would have something to tell Pilate. That's how bad it was. That's how crooked they were. And yet, they come to Pilate, and Pilate said, Look, you judge him according to your law. But the Jews were not interested in some kind of penal judgment. They were interested in only the death of Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. They just wanted the job done. They were not interested in any kind of Roman judicial process taking place at all. Now, it's interesting that Jesus had prophesied earlier concerning the form of execution by which he would be executed. In John chapter 12, verse 32 and 33, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself, but he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. You see, it was God's purpose that Jesus not only die, but that Jesus die in a certain way. Now, Jewish execution was by stoning, but Roman execution was by crucifixion. And in crucifixion, the criminal would be lifted up and nailed to a cross and hung between heaven and earth. And that was the will of God. In Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, the Bible says they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking on ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Saying, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Notice, hand him over to who? The Gentiles. How did the Gentiles execute people? By crucifixion. How did the Jews execute people? By stoning. Verse 34, Jesus said, they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and will kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Again, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen and he knew exactly how it was going to happen, and he knew exactly when it was going to happen, and he knew exactly where it was going to happen. Jesus knew that. He had authority. He had power. So why is it so important for Jesus to die on a cross? Why was crucifixion the way that God the Father chose to end the life of God the Son. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, Moses wrote, And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, he is to be put to death. And you hang him on a tree, 
His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he, now listen, for he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. In Galatians 3.13, Paul wrote this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, there's not a person within the sound of my voice who can ever keep the moral law of God perfectly. We can't do it. Take, for instance, thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie in your life? Absolutely. You'd be lying if you said you never lied. <laughs> Have you ever had a lustful thought for someone of the opposite sex? Jesus said that's adultery. You've committed adultery. Have you always, 100% of the time, honored your father and your mother? Did you ever disobey them? You see, we cannot keep the law of God. And you know what? That makes us sinners. We're sinners. We've sinned against a holy and righteous God. Do you know how many sins is enough to send you to hell? One. One. But we've got a lot more than one, right? And 2,000 years ago, God the Son was willing to be hung on a cross hung on a tree, cursed by God, not because of any sin in his life, because he was perfectly innocent. He had no sin whatsoever, but he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, there was a reason that God the Father chose for God the Son to be crucified because in that it was way God wanted to remove our sin and forgive us and give us victory over the law that we had spurned. So I ask you today, who's your king? Who's your king? We've seen the king's perfection. We've seen the king's power. And that should be reason enough for every person within the sound of my voice to choose Jesus as your king. But have you noticed that so many people in the world today have chosen other kings. They've chosen other kings. They've made a king of themselves. They've made a king of their riches, a king out of their, their, their material possessions. They made kings out of so many different things, and they bow the knee to those kings, but they refuse to bow the knee to King Jesus. And he's a perfect king. And he's a powerful king. There's no one like King Jesus. And I would beg you today, if you've never bowed the knee to Jesus and confessed your sin and repented of your sin and placed your faith in him as your personal Lord and Savior, if I were you, I would not leave this building today until I bowed my knee to King Jesus and said, Lord, save me. Lord Jesus, please save me. Change my life. Help me to honor you and live for you from this moment 
forward. Now, thirdly, I want you to see the third reason why you should choose Jesus as your king. And that is the king's purpose. Look in verses 33 to 38. The Bible says, therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium. Have you noticed that Pilate's sort of going into the praetorium and out of the praetorium to speak to the Jewish religious leaders because, you know, they don't want to be defiled. They don't want to miss a Passover, even though they were trying to get the true Passover lamb killed by the hands of the Romans through crucifixion. I can't, I can't believe how hypocritical they were. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, notice this question, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? You know what Jesus is doing? He's going for Pilate's heart. Pilate thinks he's the one in control. <laughs> But Jesus is the one who is controlling everything that's happening in this interview. Everything. And Jesus said, did you come up with that on your own? D do you think that I am the king of the Jews? Or did somebody else tell you that I'm the king of the Jews? He, he's probing his heart. You say, I believe with all my heart that Jesus wanted to save Pilate's soul. He wanted to reveal truth to him. And Pilate asked this question because he needed to know as the, as the, uh, the, the governor of Judea whether uh, Jesus was uh, an insurrectionist or not. Was Jesus plotting to overthrow the Roman government? Was Jesus... Uh, de desiring to take control and have his kingdom right here and right then. And Jesus answered him, notice this. Verse 35, Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Now, Pilate may have initially looked down his nose at Jesus, this supposed king of the Jews. I mean, from a worldly perspective, Jesus didn't seem to be a very impressive king if he was a king. I mean, his closest followers had abandoned him. The Jewish religious leaders had rejected him. 
However, there was something about Jesus that really got into Pilate's mind and heart. There was a calm assurance that Jesus displayed in the heat of the moment that caught his attention. Are you the king of the Jews? At that point, Jesus turned the tables on him and asked him a question. Where did you get that? Did somebody reveal that to you or did you come up with that on your own? Finally, the Lord replied to him, I'm a king, all right, but not a political king. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. If only Pilate had read the prophecy of Daniel, he would have known that one day God was going to send a king a king who would end up ruling the world, a king through which every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel wrote, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. What was Jesus' favorite name for himself? Son of man, right? And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So Jesus said, my kingdom at this moment is a spiritual kingdom. But you need to understand, Pilate, that in the future, my kingdom that is spiritual now is going to be literal then. And I want you to know that I have a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And then 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 to 15. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, listen, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Did you know that was in there? Paul said that Jesus testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus revealed the truth about his identity when he said, I was born. Jesus said, I was born. That speaks of his humanity. But then Jesus said something else. He said, I have come into the world. That indicates his preexistence. That indicated that Jesus had always existed even before he was born in a physical way. And that, that gives us the understanding of his deity. Jesus was fully God and Jesus was fully man. If only Pilate had been paying attention. He could have picked up on that. And his kingdom is a kingdom of truth. 
He said, for this purpose I've come into the world to reveal the truth of God. Little did Pilate know that he who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me, was standing right there in his presence. If Pilate really wanted to know the truth, the truth was standing there before him. All he had to do was believe in him. All he had to do was respond to him. He was offering Pilate a chance to have a relationship with God, a chance to experience abundant and eternal life, a chance to go to heaven when he died. By the way, he's offering you that same chance today. You may be watching live stream, or you may be in this room, or you may be in the fellowship hall, or you may be watching our television program later on, and I tell you, he's offering you a chance to be saved. Jesus is bringing us the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and that Jesus, the Son of God, came because God so loved this world, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us so that we could be forgiven, so that all our sins could be wiped away, all of our guilt removed, and we could receive life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In John 18, verses 38 to 40, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release the king of the Jews? So they cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a robber, an insurrectionist, a murderer, the other gospels tell us. They had a chance for the, the king of the Jews, the Messiah, to be released to them. But they chose Barabbas. You know, it's sad that when Pilate asked that question of Jesus, what is truth, he didn't hang around for the answer. Did you notice that? He didn't hang around for the answer. A lot of people in our culture today say that they want to find the truth. But when it stares in them in the face, they're not interested. I mean, people, so many people in our culture have bought into this postmodern malarkey that there's no such thing as absolute truth. I heard a story about Abraham Lincoln. He had a way of, of getting to the bottom of things. And he had a guy that was making some claims, and, and he told that guy to, to come, come to him. And, and when he got there, he said, he said, Sir, say that I tell you that a sheep's tail is really a leg. How many legs would he have? And the man said, well, Sir, he would have five legs. To which President Lincoln replied, no, he wouldn't have but four because a tail is not a leg, no matter what we say. And that's the problem with our culture today. We bought into this idea that what's true for you is not necessarily true to me, for me. 
And I tell you, that is a life in the pit of hell. There are absolute truths that exist in our culture today that will never change, never change. And we've got to understand what truth is. Jesus said, I am the truth. I'll tell you, friend, this book contains the truth. It's the truth. And I believe it from cover to cover. Everything Jesus did backed up his words. His resurrection validated everything that he said and did during his ministry. You know, I got to thinking about this. Who's your king? It's a great question. I'll tell you what we must never do. We must never bow our knees to the philosophies of this world system. We must only bow a knee to King Jesus. We must not bow our knees to the desires that we have for riches and popularity. We must only bow our knee to King Jesus. We must not bow our knees to the whims of our desire and our flesh. We must only bow our knee to King Jesus. We must not bow our knee to the cancel culture. We must only bow our knee to King Jesus. We must not bow our knee to the self-righteousness of any religious system. We must only bow our knee to King Jesus. We must not bow our knee to political correctness. We must only bow our knee to King Jesus. We must not bow our knee to the entertainment industry. We must only bow our knee to King Jesus. We must not bow our knee to the temptations of the devil. We must only bow our knee to King Jesus. So I ask you today, who's your king? Who's your king? I tell you, you know how you know who your king is? It's who you bow your knee to. That's how you know. Now we've discussed the king's perfection, the king's power, and the king's purpose. These are three great reasons for you to reject all the opportunity to bow before the false kings of this world system. And there are three good reasons for you to bow your knee to only one. The one true king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you, unfortunately, have chosen Barabbas. Barabbas represents the world system the world's way of doing things. And, and some of you have said, give us Barabbas. Give me the world. I want to live life my way. I don't want to bow my knee to King Jesus. I want to live the way I want to live. I don't want anybody to tell me how to live. I've heard people say that before. And I tell you on the authority of God's word that God loves you. He truly loves you. And he was willing to sacrifice his son on the cursed tree of, of the cross in order to pay the penalty for your sins because you couldn't pay the penalty for your own sins, but Jesus did. And Jesus shed his blood so that you could be forgiven and so that you could have eternal life in him. And I'm going to invite you today to leave your seat 
and to come to one of our pastors and staff members here at the front and just tell them today that you want to be saved, that you want to bow your knee to King Jesus and you want King Jesus to save you and to change your life forever. He'll do that for you. So I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come. And I want to invite you in just a moment when we begin to worship, I'll ask you to stand and you just come to one of our staff members and tell them today that you want to turn from your sin and you want to place your faith in Jesus who took your place on the cross of Calvary, who took your curse so that you could be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. Come to Jesus today. But listen, if you're in this room and you're a believer and you say, Pastor, I remember that time that I bowed my knee to Jesus and I was born again. Oh, that was a glorious moment. Do you remember it? Do you remember the joy that flooded your heart? Do you remember the spring it put in your step? But something's happened over the course of time. You've begun, you've begun to drift away. And you've begun to embrace some of the carnal attitudes of the Barabbas type personality. And you're doing things that do not reflect properly on Jesus, do not honor your king. And I want to ask you today, if, if you'll come to this altar and bow before the Lord and confess and forsake your sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that was written to believers. That was written to believers. So come, allow the Holy Spirit to clean your heart and get you right with God again. I ask you again, who's your king? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that through the Spirit of God's ministry, that souls will be saved, that lives will be changed, that believers who have drifted away from you and Lord, they've begun to do things that do not reflect well on your kingship over their lives. Lord, I pray that they get right with you and confess and forsake their sins. Lord, we love you and we submit ourselves to you today. Have your way in our heart. In Jesus' name.